Good evening and welcome to yet another exciting episode of the FIFA World Cup show. With exactly one year to go until the first FIFA World Cup in the Middle East and the Arab world, Qatar has proudly completed construction work at all eight tournament venues. To celebrate the one year to go milestone, tonight on the FIFA World Cup show, we take a closer look at the eight amazing stadiums that host the FIFA World Cup, which will take off which will kick off at the Al Bayat Stadium exactly one year from today. You and I will be watching the opening ceremony as well as the first game of the FIFA World Cup. This evening, wherever you are, wherever you are tuning in, wherever you are listening to us, whether it's a delayed, you're listening to it as a delayed program, welcome, welcome to the FIFA World Cup show. Tonight on the program, we'll be taking a closer look at the eight completed match venues We'll also be speaking to the head of the Supreme Committee for the delivery and legacy of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar and um, get his views and opinions on what he thinks about the first World Cup in the Middle East and the Arab world. We'll also be speaking to the head of operations of the Supreme Committee as well and get his opinion on what to expect for the first game and the opening ceremony. We'll also be speaking to a FIFA World Cup legend, and four times participants at the World Cup, Tim Cahill from Australia, to give us what he thinks of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. And most importantly, we'll also be speaking to the head and president of the world governing body, FIFA, Gianni Infantino, to give us what he thinks as well of the World Cup in Qatar. And to wrap up, we'll also take a closer look at Formula One and what it, what it is. And... Uh, with the World Cup opening ceremony, one year to go ceremony coinciding with the Formula One race today in Doha, in Doha. 
So tonight, wherever you're listening to me, wherever you're joining us from, welcome, 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 welcome to the show. Welcome. So without much ado, we go straight to the eight completed match venues. We take a closer look at it. So for our first venue, we'll be looking at the Al Tumama Stadium, which would host the group stage and round of 16 and quarterfinal. That is a 40,000 capacity stadium in Doha. In Doha. Yes. The next venue we'll be looking at is the Hal Ryan Stadium, would host seven matches the group stage, and the round of 16. Capacity is 40,000. Next stadium we're looking at is the Rasabu Stadium. Rasabu Stadium will be hosting seven matches. Um, that's the group stage, as well as the round of 16. And it's a 40,000 capacity stadium as well. The next stadium we'll be looking at is the Khalifa International Stadium. Khalifa International Stadium will be hosting eight matches. That is the group stage, round of 16, and the third place playoff game. Capacity is a 40,000 capacity stadium. The next venue we are looking at is the Al Junab Stadium. Al Junab Stadium would be hosting seven matches as the group stage and round of 16 capacity is 40,000 seated capacity stadium as well. The next venue we are looking at is the Education City Stadium, which will be hosting eight matches. Group stage, round of 16, and the quarterfinal game. And it's also a 40,000 capacity stadium as well. The next venue we are looking at is the Lucille, Lucille Stadium that will be hosting 10 matches. 10 matches. The group stage, round of 16, quarterfinal, semifinal as well as the final game of the Mundial. That's an 80,000 capacity stadium. The distance, the longest distance between the two, between two stadiums, that's the Al-Bayad Stadium, Al-Jinnab Stadium, is just 75 kilometers, 75 kilometers, 75 kilometers. 
Yes. So that's it. That's what we have in terms of our festival of football and looking at the eight venues for the World Cup, eight tournament venues for the World Cup. A year from now, 365 days from now, the world will be looking and watching the opening ceremony. Yes, the opening ceremony of the World Cup and the first game of the FIFA World Cup. And um, we'll be speaking to the head of the Supreme Committee, the delivery responsible for the delivery and legacy of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar, and to get what he thinks about the World Cup and the compact nature of the games. Let's get to speak with him. Let's get to speak to him and get what he thinks. Plan their travel, follow their teams, um, take planes, trains, automobiles uh, to be able to follow their teams. Uh, In this tournament, from the minute the fans land into Doha and Hamid International Airport, their main focus is going to be following their teams, watching more than one match a day and celebrating. The concerns and, and the stress of capturing different modes of transportation to move from city to city uh, is eliminated. Uh, and I believe also it's, it, it enhances or adds another element, which it makes it more affordable. It will be a more affordable tournament. We've always enhanced, we wanted to make sure that the fan experience uh, is complete in all fronts, and that's why I want to make sure uh, that the World Cup itself will uh, become accessible, um, will be a, a tournament that is accessible uh, to all football fans. Yes, the FIFA World Cup indeed will be accessible to all football fans. Indeed, that's the head of the local organizing committee you just heard speaking a while ago. Yes, we'll also be speaking to the head of operations and to get what he thinks about the games, how many games we played in a day, and what to expect in terms of the tradition and culture of Qatar. Let's speak to him. Uh, Uniquely four matches played per day. Uh, Being a compact country, Scheduling four matches a day is going to be quite unique. It's going to give people the opportunity to attend more than one match a day. It does come with its challenges, which, make, which means we need to make sure that operationally we plan it right. We schedule matches depending on the um, locations of the stadiums. However, a lot of the benefits are uh, people who aren't attending the World Cup get to watch the World Cup at very convenient times just by the fact of Qatar's location in the region or in the world means that about 3.5 billion people will get to watch um, the World Cup at very convenient times. Wow. Yes, that's the head of operations for the local organizing committee, the Supreme Committee, responsible for the delivery and legacy of the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022. You heard him right, um, speaking there, saying that there will be four games per game, per day, and um, it will be at different convenient times, and there will be 3.5 billion people watching the World Cup. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's very exciting news to hear. We'll would also be speaking to him again and hear from him in terms of what to expect, in terms of culture and tradition. It's stadium, which is our northernmost stadium, has a capacity of 60,000 and really a reflection of our culture in Qatar and in the region. Um, It's all about hospitality, it's all about um, our traditions, and it's an impressive structure that I'm sure that all fans 
that are going to visit the stadium are going to be impressed with. That's 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 exciting. That's exciting to hear. Indeed, we are one year away from the first FIFA World Cup in the Middle East and in the Arab world. I'm so excited. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward and counting down the days officially from today and to see what each day holds. And it's, this is what this show is all about. We will be counting down the days and we will bring you for each and every single episode, we'll look at different aspects, different segments of the World Cup, what you expect in terms of qualification. Last week on the show, we talked about qualification. We talked about the pathways for each continent. And today we are looking at the, the, the entire totality of, this, of, the, of the tournament, from the hosting of the games to, to the games, number of games we expect per day, what to expect in terms of culture and tradition of the people, why... I mean, the, the stadiums are close to each other in terms of the compact nature of the games, of the, the match venues and all. It's all on this show. It's all on this episode. Now, nowhere else. This is the best episode to get on the calling platform, the newly launched exciting platform. And I would urge you all to subscribe to this show, subscribe to this show, the FIFA World Cup show, and get all the tidbits, all the tidbits that you need to know about the World Cup. And the, the, the first FIFA World Cup in the Middle East, in the Middle East, in the Middle East. We'll be, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be taking the next feed and we'll be speaking to World Cup legend Tim Cahill and to hear what he thinks. Look, all the World Cups I've played in, there's different flavors. South Africa, we got to stay in the safari, then we went to Brazil, the Samba, Russia, and now Qatar, the culture the people, museums, um, the stadiums. There's so much. But like anything, it's um, the first time it's been held in this region. Um, and that's the most beautiful thing about football, especially after the pandemic, is um, bringing all the worlds together, even if your country hasn't made it, to celebrate such a beautiful event. What about the players at this stage? There's a year to go. You know what this moment feels like. Do you play cautious? Do you give it your all to, to make sure you get in that team? How do you how do you play it on the pitch? Well, some of them have to get there, like my country, Australia. Um, and it's it's exciting for them because you have to give everything now to qualify. Uh, some can take their foot off the gas. You always want to do well in your domestic competition so you get selected. So there's a lot of talent out there. There's a lot of aspirations and dreams and goals. And you, For me as a player, I always gave it everything. Some World Cups I went in injured, but... Um, when you get your opportunity, you have to take and that's uh, to shine on the biggest show on earth. And just very quickly, how was the F1? That's almost giving you a little taster of what a major sporting event will be like here. Listen, it was incredible being on the grid to take my son. You know, this is what I'm saying about the World Cup. I'm going to take my boys and my girl to watch two games in a day. Today, the F1, um, quality time. It's a different experience, but the Qatar hosts amazing events. And... Um, just seen tonight how amazing yeah so that's Tim Cahill World Cup legend he's played at the World Cup on four different occasions in 2006 the 2010 World Cup 2014 in Brazil and 2018 in Russia he's now working in Qatar as a chief sports officer with Aspa Academy whoa that's that's something to expect and um we'll, we'll be taking the voice feed of the FIFA president 
will be taking the voice feed of the FIFA president. And to know what he thinks about the FIFA, the first FIFA World Cup in the Arab world and why it's so important for Qatar and the rest of the world. Let's take his feed. To celebrate. And uh, I'm proud. I, I feel uh, very emotional, I have to say as well. Tonight we realize that uh, the World Cup is uh, happening. Uh, it's for real. It's coming. It's here. It's the first World Cup in the Arab world. It's so important for Qatar, it's so important for the whole Gulf, for all the Arabs to show to the world how welcoming this part of the world is, how welcoming this country is, how great it will be to come here and to celebrate. And uh, obviously the, the Arab part of me feels even more proud and even more emotional uh, than, uh, than uh, I would otherwise. Arab Cup has in a few days, for the first time it's under the umbrella of FIFA, how important it is for the local organizing committee for the FIFA for the uh, next World Cup. Well, obviously, it is a, it is a crucial event to test uh, some of the, of the stadiums, actually almost all of the stadiums for the World Cup. Uh, it's important that it is a FIFA event, it's a FIFA competition, it is the FIFA Arab Cup uh, to show that uh, for the first time, FIFA has embraced a regional competition, even if it encompasses two continents, right? Uh, teams from Africa and teams uh, from uh, Asia. But uh, FIFA believes, I believe, uh, not So that's FIFA president Gianni Infantino speaking to us a while ago about what it means to host the first World Cup in the Arab world and why it's so important for Qatar and the Gulf World to show the world how welcoming this country is. Indeed, 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 indeed. I see, Sal, you're on the line, and you want, you, want, you, want, you, want, you want to share something. So I will take you right away. Hello, yeah. Sal. Hi. So, Philip, my question, my question is, Hi. what have been the biggest difficulties you guys have faced to date, and how did you guys overcome those challenges? And then after dealing with those challenges, what are the new set of difficulties you're facing? Like, obviously, COVID is something that's forced majority. That's something you couldn't plan for. But in addition to just COVID and all the difficulties that uh, presented, what are the other ones you guys had to deal with that were unique to, say, the Qatari experience? Um, I think one of the unique challenges Qatar had to deal with is the myth surrounding the entire World Cup in terms of the image of the region, what to expect um, as right from the period when Qatar won the bid to host the World Cup. It's been surrounded with so many controversies, so many acrinous uh, myths to say, because most of the things um, have been non-existent, but it's just a fiction of people's imagination. And um, I'm very excited that Qatar has risen above all the rumors and all the negativity that has sought to derail this, the hosting of the World Cup in the region and to have completed all eight match venues on schedule, on time, tested it, ensured that it's met the structural integrity of architecture and everything. I think that is very commendable. And uh, that is one. Um, number two, also ensuring that 
Um, today, for example, Qatar hosted the Formula One Grand Prix and uh, to show the world what it is like to host the major event. Qatar has in the past hosted the FIFA World Club Championship. And um, for me, I think they've done extremely well, um, uh, especially like you rightly mentioned, in terms of COVID and uh, uh, how they've managed to rise above all the challenges that has, that has come with the pandemic over the last year and to even host the last edition of the FIFA World Club Championship, as well as in, a, in the next few days, we'll be hosting the first regional football tournament hosted by FIFA. We have two continents. I mean, countries from, the, from Asia and from Africa coming together to play the first FIFA Arab World Cup uh, World, 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 uh, uh, tournament. I think that is commendable. That is commendable. And then kudos to the local organizing committee. Kudos to the entire team. And um, so, so how did you guys overcome the COVID challenge? Because many countries, they had to stop construction during COVID. How did you guys deal with it? Please give us some examples of how you solve that. Okay. So for Qatar, one of the key things, not just Qatar, but um, even across, across the region, because when you, you look at Saudi Arabia, you look at the United Arab Emirates, they've dealt with the pandemic head on. So one of the key things that I know uh, they, they, they did as a regional body was to quickly set up test centers, test centers as close as, uh, as possible to each uh, 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 neighborhood, uh, neighborhood uh, neighborhoods and easily so, accessible to people. Yes. So that's part of my question, but my other part is the supply chain. Like when you're building a stadium and you're trying to get it ready, part of the s- supply chain is some parts are coming from, say, the United States or Canada or Taiwan or China. That all got disrupted during the whole COVID period in the whole world. How did you guys manage to fix that? That's what I'm really curious at, like, because it's very remarkable that you managed to do that. So how do you? Um, for from where I sit, from um, this is a question we have to put the um, head of operations and the and, and the entire local organizing committee. But from where I sit, as a as a sports expert and as a journalist, the little information I have on this is most of the equipment were procured before the pandemic. Most of the equipment were procured before the pandemic. So remember Qatar, right from the get-go, when they had the opportunity to, 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 to win the bid to host the World Cup, from the get-go, they started preparing. And uh, some of the, uh, the stadiums were ready as far as maybe 2017, 2018, okay, so 2019. You, so you, you just answered. So, they're, they're already ready for it years before COVID happened. Exactly, 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 exactly. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it's, it's, it's just recently that they f- today they finished with the last one, with the last one. And already, as we know, life is coming back to normal um, with the vaccination. And talking about vaccination, um, for the World Cup, for each ticket that is purchased at the World Cup, the fund is entitled to any vaccination of your choice and um, as well as a vaccination card that would permit them to enter the stadium. 
to enter the stadium and watch the games. So there will be test centers, there will be vaccination centers. And I think credit to the local organizing committee, um, uh, making sure that the best efforts are done for us to have the best, the best and most memorable experience. So do, did I, I don't know if I answered your question, Sal. Well, you answered it partially. So everything was bought years before, so it didn't matter if COVID happened because they're already ready for it. So all yes. those challenges were dealt with. Uh, so what were the other challenges that you guys had to deal with other than COVID? That's what I mentioned, that um, ever since Qatar had the opportunity to host the World Cup, they've had to deal with a number, a number of myths surrounding the original ability to host the World Cup. One key thing was to do with the weather. The World Cup is always hosted in the summer. In the summer, we are talking June, July. But this is the first time the World Cup will be hosted in November, from 20th November to the 18th of December. And one of the key things that I, I liked about Qatar and the organizing committee is having a dialogue. They traveled across each continent to dialogue with the regional football associations, with UEFA, with CONCACAF, with CAF, and with each of the regional bodies to find a suitable calendar and the most appropriate time of the year to host it. Obviously, around the time of the year that the, the World Cup is usually hosted, June, July, it's impossible to host such a tournament around that time of the year because the temperatures are, are really, 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 really high around that time of the year. But to have worked around the timing, the calendar, and to come up with even a suitable time to host the tournament, I think that is very commendable. So do you think there are going to be future World Cups with this type of time frame? Um, no, not that I know of. Not that I know of. Because um, this is a special case and, um, and a special uh, solution for a very peculiar uh, uh, challenge. Um, I'm sure after this World Cup, um, FIFA will revert to the original, to, to, to the original, original, or, original, uh, or original schedule of hosting the World Cup in the summer, which is uh, June, July. So, what are the the next set of uh, challenges you guys have to deal with, other than the ones you mentioned? Are there anything else, or are they just small problems that are? Easy? I think at this point, Qatar is ready and the world is welcome to host, to, to, to enjoy the, the, the hospitality of the Qatarians because I think at this point, they are ready. They are ready. What, you, what, you going, what, what is happening is Qatar is using the Arab, um, Arab, 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 the FIFA Arab tournament as a test, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a litmus test. Uh, to show the world that it's indeed ready to host the rest of the world. Okay, so Philip, a little bit about you. What, what is a sport? A sports diplomat simply means, um, first of all, sports, it's about dialogue, it's about friendship, it's about unity, it's about solidarity. And um, being a sports diplomat, I've had opportunity... And, and, and competition, right? Yes, and competition. And being a sports diplomat, I've had opportunity to work with different countries, different people in different capacities, 
And in all and in all situations and circumstances, you have a better appreciation of people in terms of their tradition, their culture, the soft skills, and all. And that is the beauty of sports. That's the beauty. The sports is the unified language that we all speak, regardless okay, so, of the color. Okay, so uh, what are your predictions? Who's going to win? Who's going to come first? Who's going to come second? Do you have any predictions so far? Or uh, My predictions for the World Cup. Who is going to win the World Cup? I think um, I have three teams. Defending champions, France. Defending champions, France, um, Argentina, Brazil, and one last team, Croatia. That those are the, the runners up for the last World Cup. I think they have the capacity. So, to... so you're saying the past is a predictor of the future. Uh, do you have any outlier uh, teams that you might be a Croatia. People still doubt Croatia. People still think their performance at the last World Cup and playing, playing in the final of the World Cup was a nine-day wonder. And um, if you look at the circumstances with which they qualified for this particular World Cup, I think Croatia can pull a surprise. And another team to watch out for is the Netherlands. The Netherlands, um, remember, they missed out at the last World Cup in 2018. They are coming back after, after, uh, after almost eight years, and I believe they can also pull a surprise at the World Cup. Okay, so the Netherlands is, is your surprise one because the others are among the expected a lot. So Netherlands... Yes. Any others or... Netherlands, the Netherlands, the Netherlands. Um, um, for now, the Netherlands and the, the African the qualifiers are still going on. And uh, we'll have to wait. Um, what, 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 what about historical powerhouses like Germany or even like South Korea, which was placed third in the 2000 World Cup? What about the others? Do you have any comments there or Spain? I think, I think, I think um, Germany, Spain, yes, they are traditional powerhouses. Uh, but um, football is teamwork. It's a team sport. And um, even though they have individual exciting talents, um, you need the team to gel in all departments and aspects of the game on a good day to win the tournament. And in my last show, um, I, I mentioned something. I'm going to mention it again. The legendary Pelé said to win a World Cup and to win a tournament, you don't pray to win it. You pray to have your best players physically fit and strong and injury-free team to be able to win the World Cup. And to be able to win it, it it's, it's different, different parameters that comes to play. So I think um, these uh, traditional powerhouses will have to do more beyond the individual talents that they have and to ensure that they are able to, they are able to not just uh, uh, qualify from the group stages, but take each stage of the tournament as it comes. And hopefully, who knows, they could, they could, uh, one of them could, could, could win it. But I'm, I'm, I'm sticking my neck out for France, because they've got an exciting team. Uh, they, they played at the finals of the Euro 2020. They just recently won the UEFA uh, Nations Cup. Argentina, Lionel Messi, Argentina, yeah, but, but Lionel France, Messi. On the... but, but France doesn't have Zidane or Thierry Henry anymore, for example. Uh, uh, and Pele was in the Brazil team, which had so many players, like not one, like 
10 other, I mean, not just Pele was great, but there were so many other backup players. But then there were surprises like historically, like Cameroon, which was never a football powerhouse that became a big surprise. That's why I'm asking about the surprise. That's to me the more interesting. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree with you. Each tournament, that's what I'm telling you. It's still early stages yet. Qualifications are still ongoing. When the teams have quali- we've, we we have the 32, 32 qualified teams, then we can stick. I can stick my neck out. We look at each country, each their path to the qualification. Then I can say these are the teams to watch out for. This, but on the face of what we have now, these are the teams I can say can't win the World Cup because qualification is still ongoing. And um, if you look at traditional, the traditional teams like you spoke of, you, uh, you mentioned France. France have a very good goalkeeper in, in Hugo Lloris. They've got a solid defense, solid defense. Um, they've got an electrifying midfield, electrifying midfield. You have Antonio Griezmann in there. You have Kylian Mbappe. You have Paul Pogba. You have um, uh, uh, Karim Benzema. It, the list goes endless. Mbappe is an exciting talent. He's already playing above his years. He carried the team in the last World Cup, and he's expected to do that again in, this, in, in, in the next World Cup. So, uh, and if you look at how they are playing, they play as a team. They play as a team. You look at Germany. Germany, yes, they, 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 they qualified smoothly, winning all their games. But they are not collectively strong as a unit. And I believe when they face a stiffer opposition, um, that is where their, their, their strength will come to, to bear and would, would, would reflect on, 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 on the tournament. And Sal, did I answer your question? No, no, it's, it's been great. Uh, I, I, right now, this is most of it's speculation as it's not final yet. That's why I wanted to uh, hear your Yes, yes, yes. It's nice having you. Uh, may I know where you are calling from and what you also do as well? I'm in cybersecurity. I'm in San Francisco. I happen to follow the World Cup for a very long time, over a couple of decades. And I uh, even met the uh, players uh, trialing for the 1990 uh, World Cup in the U.S., so the Italian team. They were practicing at my college campus, so. Sorry, 1994. Oh, wow. That's that's 94 uh, team. So that's the famous one where Baggio oh, cool. missed the penalty kick. Yes, the, the penalty kick. Yeah. Yes, I remember. I remember. Yeah. And that's um, and subsequent shows we'll be celebrating Rojamila. We'll be looking at Rojamila in totality um, and his impact as a super substitute for Cameroon, for Cameroon at, at the at the at that particular World Cup. And talking about that particular World Cup. In, nine, in the U.S., we, uh, Nigeria also had Rashidi Yakini. Rashidi Yakini. I don't know if you follow the Nigerian team in that particular tournament. Yes, but, yes. Um, uh, I, well, I followed all the teams. So uh, there wasn't social media like today, but I followed all the teams back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I would love to connect with you more um, outside this program, and hopefully, I hope you would you be tuning in to subsequent programs. Um, the show is live on Thursdays, Sundays, Mondays, and Fridays. And the, the timing for the show is 4 p.m., 4 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. East Coast time. 
9 p.m. GMT, and 10 p.m. Central European time. Great, looking forward to it. So I just started following you, and I guess likewise. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's, it's exciting and encouraging having um, a fan like you tuning into the program. I'm excited. I value, I value, I value each and every single fan. I know um, it's a new platform that has been launched. Uh, this is not my first time um, hosting um, um, a sports show, but this is my first time um, using the calling platform and um, exploring how exciting and user-friendly it is. And it, it's, it's refreshing having you uh, listen to the podcast and also sharing what you think and, 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 and we having an, a very interesting dialogue. I really, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Uh, likewise, and uh, great for taking the time and uh, being a great sports. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We learn each and every single day. We learn each and every single day. So just before you go, just before we wrap up, we'll be wrapping up with a show. Um, I would wrap up with you, Sal. Uh, Sal, um, my question to you, which team you expect to win the World Cup next year? Uh, good question. So um, based on historical trends, I would normally go with uh, one of the like historical powerhouses like, say, uh, Brazil or Germany. Uh, but I, I always love to see the outliers, uh, the, the ones who are not the traditional uh, picks. And that's why I ask you those questions. Uh, but at, at this rate, like I would go with someone like uh, a country like Brazil. Hello, sir. Hello, I'm here. Did you hear my response? I lost. I lost. I lost. I lost your response. Okay, so the okay, so my, my response was this. Uh, quite straightforward was, uh, normally uh, I would love to see an outlier, like a Cameroon or like a, uh, an oddball like uh, South Korea. However, based on historical trends, I would go with, say, one of the traditional powerhouses like say Brazil, Spain, or Germany. Uh, as, as the bet. Okay. As the bet. Have you been following the qualifiers so far? Have you been following the, the especially in North America? Well, I've been following partially. Uh, so normally, like, I, I start to take it seriously once it's set, once the 32 teams are certain. Uh, so I haven't been following all the qualifiers, to be honest. Oh, okay, I would have, I would have, I would have loved to pick your thoughts on what you think about the U.S. team, and uh, what you also think about Canada's uh, performance in the qualifiers so far. So far, uh, U.S., Canada, Mexico looks looks like the most likely uh, team to qualify from from North America. Well, yeah, I mean that that's that's a, that's a given, uh, but uh, in addition to them, like I'm I'm curious about some of the other. Uh, uh, non-traditional like Croatia where we're talking about like the non-traditional powerhouses that might have yeah yeah so thank you Sal um it's 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 refreshing having you once again on the show I look forward to having you on subsequent programs um after this episode um you can I'll, I'll do all to follow you 
You can also send me a message uh, privately, and then we will connect, hopefully. And um, on this note, wherever you are, wherever you tune in, wherever you've listened to us from, whether live or delayed, it's been the FIFA World Cup show. On the show tonight, we celebrated one year, one year to the world watching the first and the opening ceremony of the FIFA World Cup in, in, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, in the Middle East, and the Arab world. And we cannot wait to host you all. Until same time, tomorrow, 9 p.m. It's bye for now. We end the show with our signature tune.